Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Welcome to Connect Church. Let's thank our team for leading us out so well this morning. Welcome back after Easter Sunday. Man, so grateful that you are here. And as Mallory celebrated, uh, just shy of 2,000 folks on campus, more importantly, uh, over 30 decisions for Christ on, on Easter. I'm going to tell you, that's just some good stuff. And we're so grateful that God, God alone would accomplish that in our midst. And I want to share one picture that really just sums up uh, Easter really for me. And this is a picture of our, our worship team, like right in the middle of a praise and worship song. Uh, this is my wife over here. Just after this picture, she touched that light. And I, it was just, man, that, that's just how good it was. And, uh, and I'll tell you this, that God wants to do it again today. Jesus is still alive today. I, I want to thank those who selflessly uh, served hundreds of you over last weekend just to make sure uh, that people could hear the gospel, the many who are serving, even in this day, uh, underneath us with all of our kids. Just so grateful for your service to the Lord and serving him through uh, Connect Church. I just let you know, we're 51 weeks away from Easter again, just, so, just in case you're keeping count, 51 weeks out. And I want to share with you a quote from Charles Swindoll that I thought was so good. And that is simply this, the, the devil, darkness and death may swagger, it may boast. The pangs of life will sting for a while longer. But don't worry, the forces of evil are breathing their last not to worry. And he is risen. Man, we celebrate such a good and powerful God. Well, today, we continue on in our study of the Gospel of John. We leave behind a well in Samaria and travel back to Galilee, Jesus' hometown, if you will. We leave the Samaritan woman and, and the Samaritan people at Jacob's well, and we find what is wonder seekers welcoming Jesus in Galilee, his old stomping grounds. Here's where the Bible picks up here in John chapter 4, that after the two days, he, meaning Jesus, left for Galilee. Well, you ask the question, two days where? Well, was speaking of the two days where no Jewish man ever dared stay two days, and that was Samaria. In fact, it was a, a really a productive day. He would have the longest recorded conversation in the Gospels with a Samaritan woman, and in fact, really, God would move in the Samaritan people, and they would believe on Jesus. The Bible reminds us back in verse 42, they would say this, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed speaking of Jesus, the Savior of the world. And we pick back up a couple verses ahead in verse 44. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country, no honor in his own hometown. But when he arrived in Galilee, interestingly enough, the Galileans, they welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, and they also had been there. They saw with their own eyes. Now there's a problem for me right here in the text. Jesus says nobody welcomes, nobody honors a prophet in his own hometown. And here we see a welcoming committee welcoming Jesus into Galilee. Well, hey, let me frame it up this way. You ready? Uh, don't get me wrong. The Galileans, they love Jesus' wonders, but to worship him, man, that wasn't on their minds. Man, the Galileans, they, they, they loved his miracles, but to be their maker, to be their master, to be their Messiah, no, that's not what they were after. Listen to me, it's always been this way. 
Looking to Jesus for the, the spectacular, the sensational, the supernatural was easy. But trusting him alone for their salvation, that's not what this welcome committee had in mind. You see, there was a circus-like atmosphere that began to surround Jesus. Now, I love how one author put it. You ready? He said, Jesus was fast becoming a traveling sideshow. Come one, come all, see the Galilean miracle worker. Hearing what had happened in Cana, that whole water into wine thing, made him pretty popular, as you can imagine. Miracles in Jerusalem, Jesus' popularity, his street cred is growing before their very eyes. Here in the text, we find that Jesus would go back, watch this, in verse 46, that he would go back to Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And then we find an unexpected turn. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went and watched this. He begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Things do take quite an unexpected turn here. A Roman official in the service of King Herod had journeyed some 20 miles from Capernaum to Cana, not for wine from water, but for life from death. Quickly we are thrown into the gut-wrenching pleas of a father for Jesus to save his dying son. And thus the setting of what would be the second of seven signs in the Gospel of John, seven miracles that John will record. And yet again, another miracle in Cana. The first miracle at Cana, let me remind you, came at the request of his panicked mother. And this second miracle, at the request of a desperate dad. We don't know much about this dad or his family, but... We know enough here in the text, don't we? He was an official who worked for and under King Herod. He was probably wealthy to some extent and had some power, yet his son was dying and he is powerless to gain what he wanted most, and that was his son to live, his little boy to live. His money couldn't buy his son's health or his life. King Herod, who he had dedicated his life to serve, could do nothing for the boy, for he was merely just a king. What this dad needed was another king to go to. This dad was desperate. His pleas were, they were urgent. His son was dying. The word sick here in John chapter 4 kind of paints the picture of not just a, a sudden fever or illness coming upon him, but that his boy had been sick for some time. I'm going to tell you something. When you are a parent, there is nothing that plunges us into desperation more then one, one of our kids are sick or hurting. Nothing. I did a study of child mortality because I'm just a nerd. I went back and I studied child mortality in the ancient Roman world, the ancient Roman Empire during that first century in which this story, this event took place. And here's what I found. In the greatest empire in the entire world, half of all children died before their 10th birthday. Listen, wrap your mind around that. I got four babies. That means two of them wouldn't have made it to their 10th birthday. 
I sit back and I read that and I studied that and I thought, man, that's how terribly tragic it must have been. A terrifying reality for families in that day. Listen, as an official of Rome, I'm certain he had access to the best doctors Rome had to offer. As a daddy, I know he tried every medical treatment, but nothing worked. You know, I can imagine that what he heard from the Roman doctors about his little boy is, man, I'm sorry. There's nothing more that we can do for your son. I can imagine it crushed him. So in a a last-ditch effort, the man who's used to seeing people travel to him now gets on the road in a desperate search for Jesus. This, This miracle worker, well, maybe just maybe he could save my son. Well, he finds Jesus, the Bible tells us. And the Bible tells us that he begged. This word begged him to come to Capernaum, come see my son and and come heal him. That word begged there means this, that, that he just wouldn't let it go, right? He kept asking him and pleading with him and begging Jesus to come and heal his son. In a sense, he would not take no. Wouldn't take no for an answer. And as a parent... Man, I get it. As a daddy, I get it. Um, this past week after Easter weekend, I shut our church offices down and man, told our folks, just go, our staff, man, go be with your families. We, we've, had, we've had an awesome weekend. Go be with your family. So I took the occasion to take my son fishing. And we caught Moby Dick. I want you to look at this fish. No joke was this big. I had to take six pictures just to get that thing to show up on the screen. But we, we caught him and the rest of his family that day and just had an absolute blast. A year ago, next month in May, about a year ago, my son was waking up in the middle of the night really distressed. He, he had croup. And, and many of you who've, who are parents, you know what croup is, right? You put your kid to bed, and at some point in the night, kind of spontaneously, they start barking, and it sounds like a barking seal, right? You just hear the seal barking in the room. You're like, what is that? You go in there, and you realize that it is your child who, for whatever reason, their airways have become narrowed. And it comes on suddenly, and at times it can seem violent, a cough that is just terrible. And, and you know what you do? You, you go, and, and this is literally what we begin to do. If it was cold outside, we'd wrap him in a blanket and let him go breathe in cold air. If it was hot outside, <laughs> don't you judge me. We would stick his head in the freezer, right? Stick his head in the freezer to help him, but here's the problem. It was getting worse. Where some kids might have croup once or twice a year, my son was having it one time, two times, three times a month. And it was, it was getting terrifying. So we, we took him to Children's and Vanderbilt. We were ready to go to Vanderbilt with him, just doing these studies to try to figure out man, what was causing this because just something's not right. Then last May, I've gotten really good at waking up at his cost. Listen to me. He, he could do this in the middle of the night and I'm up. I'm right next to him. I'm checking in on him. Last May, he woke up around midnight and I heard the bark. And I thought, man, that's not good. This sounds bad. And so I walked in there, and I grabbed my son. Listen, that's how quick of a time it was. I walked in there, I picked him up. I woke Aaron up and said, hey, listen, he's, he's got it. 
Let, let's get his breathing treatment. Let's get steroids in him. He, he's got it. This one's going to be bad. And within a matter of minutes, man, he just began to decline really bad. He didn't just cough, but he couldn't stop coughing. In the midst of his coughs, he was throwing up because he could not stop coughing. And my, my lively little four-year-old boy was just slumped over. We could tell quickly that there's no way he's getting the air that he needs. And so we rushed him downstairs. We had hooked up everything we could to him. And I looked at Aaron and said, Aaron, you got to call 911. We, we, we got to get an ambulance out here. And I'm going to tell you, our first responders around here are just the best. They got in the, there between four and five minutes, but it might as well have felt like four to five days. And so, as he's sitting there on the counter, we've got this breathing treatment which is not working. He's throwing up. Air's just not getting into his lungs. And I, I reach over and I grab my boy and just say, Jesus, could you just, would you open up his lungs? Jesus, would you? I, I, ran, I ran to Jesus and just prayed his daddy, desperate. I've never been more scared in my life. Jesus, would you just open up his airways? And, and Jesus didn't. But I ran to him anyway. Before the ambulance got there, I was convinced if somebody didn't do something, my son's going to die. I can't stand that thought. But Jesus, would you just open his eyes? I went out on the front porch to wait for the emergency folks to come, and they did so quickly. And the whole time I sat out there on the porch, it was like, Jesus, man, we need you. Open my son's airways. Would you just open them? And he, he did the ambulance gets there, and they walk in. I say, hey, look, he's four. He's healthy, but not now. I, can you take him to Children's? They said, no, sir. He's under respiratory distress. We've got to get him to the nearest hospital. Oh, do what, what you got to do. And they get him. They take this little four-year-old boy who's, who's coughing, who's throwing up, who's not breathing. It's just this terrible scene. They put him in this big old ambulance, and I'll be honest with you, I just didn't like the way that looked. All time, Jesus, would you just open up his... His airways. They put a mask on him. And they put in that mask what is equivalent to an EpiPen. And they, they put that right into his mask, right down into his airways. And then I heard something absolutely incredible. And that was I heard nothing at all. They opened his airways. And my boy could breathe. An event that took place over 10 minutes which we later found out was pretty life and death for my son, absolutely left me in complete desperation. I think of this daddy, and you know what? I get it. I'm telling you from experience that a desperate dad would do anything to save his son. And so this desperate dad goes to Jesus. And an awkward conversation ensues. I'm just going to be honest with you. This one kind of catches me off guard. Watch what happens here. Listen to what Jesus says. This is a little awkward. First thing he says is that unless you people, first of all, it's just the dad there. But Jesus is talking to broader people like, unless you Galileans see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Huh. I'll be honest. 
If I got that on that night in May, I'm not happy with that response. Some of y'all aren't old enough yet, but back in 1984, Wendy's came out with a commercial. Three older ladies, and they were on the phone, and here's the question they were asking. You ready on three? One, two, three. Bunch of old people in here. I love it. Where's the beef? I was two years old, but I remember that Wendy's commercial. I love me some Wendy's. Where's the beef? And the whole marketing ploy there was every other restaurant had big buns, but no, no really burger in there. But Wendy's, man, they had the beef, and so the slogan became, where's the beef? Where's the beef? And I look at this text, and I, I, I ask of Jesus, where's the compassion? Where's the understanding? But I want you just for a few minutes, I want you to follow me here to see what Jesus is doing. In verse 48, Jesus does not address the dad, but the Galileans in general. That, that all these Galileans, what they craved most of all were miracles and wonders. Charles Spurgeon said it this way about this time. Oh, sorry, there's the where's the beef. Isn't that great? That lady reminds me of my grandmother. Anyway, uh, listen to what Charles Spurgeon said at the time. A craving for miracles was a symptom of the sickly condition of the men's minds in the Lord's day. We begin to unpack that. And, and I, too, agree that their cravings for miracles and wonders were paramount for them to say to Jesus, Jesus, I don't really want you. I just want your stuff. This was the mindset in that day. I don't want you as Savior. I just want to see the spectacle, the sensational, the supernatural. I don't want you as my master. I just want your miracles. And you see, it's in that context that Jesus shares an important moment with this dad. Church, we know this. Oftentimes, believers who do not love God or follow God will try to use God when there's a great need. And thus, they miss the point of the very miracle they demand. Instead of being used, Jesus uses this desperate situation to point this dad to an even greater miracle than that of the gift of physical life, which is this, the very fact that the one the official is addressing is the source of eternal life. Jesus is eternal life, not only for his boy, but for him and for his entire family. Hey, remember the point of miracles. Remember the point of the gospel John would write. These are written so that you may, what, believe in Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Despite this awkward moment with Jesus, the official says this. The daddy says, sir, a sign of respect, come down before my, my child dies. Hey, can I, can I tell you two things he misses out on? Number one, Jesus doesn't have to be present with the child to heal him. And number two, even if the child dies, Jesus can raise him back up to life. But none of that matters to a desperate dad. He uses this phrase here for an official, which is kind of unique in the Greek language, and that is, my child. That's a tenderness there on behalf of this dad. It's paramount to me saying, hey, Jesus, would you come before my little boy, before my son dies? 
I got to thinking, little does this dad know that even death obeys the words of Jesus. Then he says, go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. You see, he came in search of wonders, and now what he has are the words of Christ. Your son will live. And the man, watch what the Bible says. The man took Jesus at his word, and he departed. And he left. He took Jesus at his word. Like the Samaritans earlier, who saw neither miracles nor wonders, but took Jesus at his word and believed in him, so now this desperate father, sight unseen, takes Jesus at his word. Hey, can I remind you something about our faith? Even in the most desperate of times, true faith comes not by seeing with our eyes, but by believing with our hearts. And that's the reason why Jesus responded in such a way with him. Remember what John would later write in his gospel in chapter 20, verse 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. By the way, it's us. Here's where things get a little bit interesting. Verse 51, I want us to kind of, I want to kind of talk about the timing here. While he was still on his way, this is the official, his servants met him with news that his boy was living. Man, I could imagine the joy. In verse 52, when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, now watch this, yesterday. So, so wait a second. He had had a conversation with Jesus yesterday at about one in the afternoon, meaning this that that daddy could have taken another four to five hour journey and gotten home by dark to make sure that what Jesus said came true. But we don't see that. Why? Because he took Jesus at his word. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, and then this official connects the dots. Then the father realized that there was, that was the exact time in which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Why, why didn't this dad go home right away? I would argue he probably spent the night in Cana that night. And you know what else I would argue? That daddy probably got the first best night of sleep he's had in a long time. All because he took Jesus at his word. Oh, the sleep. Oh, the amount of sleep that you and I miss. And we miss out on when we fail to just take Jesus at his word. I can imagine instead of counting sheep that night, you know what that daddy did? He counted on the shepherd. Then he trusted Jesus' words. That his son is now alive. I'm going to tell you something. I love this second sign, this second miracle in John chapter 4. And while this, while this healing of this dad's son is miraculous... I want you to hear me. There is a greater miracle that took place in John chapter 4. Let me show it to you. Watch this in verse 53. So he, meaning the daddy, and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. The greatest miracle of that day was not just that the little boy lives, which by the way is pretty great, but that now by faith in Jesus, he and his family can live forever.
Church, can I remind you that that is the greatest healing of all? Think of it. With Jesus' first sign, the miracle of changing water into wine, we see even elements at the molecular level obey Jesus. At this, his second sign or miracle, disease at the cellular level must obey him even 20 miles away, and death at the physical level was denied. For Jesus shows himself, you ready to be Lord over both matter and disease, time and space, and even over death. Without, the, without question, these first two miracles, John points us to the fact that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he is the Savior of the world worth believing in. But before we close down this text in John chapter 4 and close out John chapter 4, I want to close by addressing healing for a moment. Although this is not the point of the text, I I think it's important that we begin this conversation that will continue next week in John chapter 5 as we sit poolside in Bethesda, okay? Important conversation. This miracle, this boy living is incredible. But with almost half of the children in the first century Roman Empire dying before the age of 10, you must know that while Jesus healed this one boy, other sons died that day. Other daughters died that day. Where was their healing? And I want to start off by saying honestly, I don't fully know how to answer that question. But I know that Jesus still miraculously, in ways that science and medicine cannot explain, that Jesus still heals today. I've seen it. But I also know that many of you in this room have laid to rest in the arms of Jesus, loved ones that you have prayed for God to heal, even your children. I was there with you. I cried with you. I held you. We celebrated their life at their graveside together. And the question always remains, and why would Jesus heal his little boy, not mine? Why didn't Jesus heal my daughter, my grandson, my, my granddaughter, my husband, my wife. Why didn't he heal my brother and my sister, my, my friend? Did I, did I not have enough faith? My brother has in his congregation over in Seymour a 75-year-old retired pastor who on this morning attended my brother's church confined to a wheelchair in which he'll never be able to freely move from. He is dying a terribly hard death to muscular dystrophy. And me and my brother were talking about this topic of healing. And he said, you know what? That pastor goes to my church. Let me tell you what he said well about this healing faith. And here's what this 75-year-old pastor said. Healing faith doesn't claim God must do it but trust that God can do it. Healing faith doesn't claim, God, you must do it. But it trusts 
like that desperate daddy did that day, that God can do it. That God can. I want to frame up this question this way. The answer to the question of healing for a child or for the child of God, listen to me, is always yes. Is always yes. But the question of where remains. Where will God do the healing? Will that healing be on on this side of eternity with us? Or will that healing be on the other side of eternity? In the presence of Jesus. You, You see, we've got to take him at his word. The promises of Scripture for the child and the very child of God that our eternity is set. And we've got to trust Jesus with the where. We've got to trust him with the where. Miracle of healing in the moment, like what we see in John chapter 4, is incredible and is preferable by all of us in the room. But hear me, such healing is just a shadow, a taste, a precursor for the ultimate healing, a greater healing that takes place when a child or a child of God is called home by Jesus to a place that is prepared for them called heaven. Partially described, and by the way, every chance I get, I'm quoting this passage. We catch a glimpse of such a place. In Revelation 21, 3 through 5, behold... The dwelling place of God is with man. We're speaking of heaven now. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the other side of eternity that I speak of. With Jesus. Now, let's talk some description here. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Can we just stop there for a moment? I get to thinking of the little boy that Jesus healed in John chapter 4. And if he made it past 10 years old, he was part of that half that made it past 10 years old, do you know undoubtedly what he had in his eyes at different times in his life? Tears. So he's healed in a moment. Yet he would cry tears again. Tears of of hurt and pain and disappointment. But not so with the healing that comes here. For every tear will be wiped. And watch this. And death shall be no more. I get to thinking again. John chapter 4. This little boy who's healed in this moment. And trust me, it is incredible. It's preferable. But you know that little boy would grow up one day? And he gets sick again? Do you know that he would have to, he would have to still die? And yet I think of the other side of eternity. Where God is God. and We're in his presence And death shall be no more. And watch this, neither shall there be mourning. Think of all the things in life that cause us to mourn. That little boy would have mourned at some point in his life. Oh, but over there, there's no more mourning. There's no more crying. Think of the things that keep you up at night. Think of the things that cause you to cry. And yet over here, there's no more. There's no more pain for the former things that passed away. And watch, and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold! I am making all things new. And he said, write it down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Church, I'm going to argue 
something this hard. That healing of that boy that day was a great healing. But there's a greater healing to be had. For those of you in the room that has a loved one in heaven and you prayed that God would heal him on this side and they closed their eyes in death here on earth, I want you to hear me. God answered your prayers of healing for them with a resounding yes because now they are healed and whole in the very presence of Jesus. So, Anthony, what happens when we have a John chapter 4 moment in our life? Where we really pray for healing and we're asking God to do it on this side of eternity. And God does it in the where we didn't want him to. He heals him on that side of eternity. Well, here's what I learned from a desperate daddy. Number one, run to Jesus and always pray for healing. Listen, there is nothing wrong with running to Jesus, begging him to heal my loved one. And, and God, would you do it on this side of eternity so we have more time and, and so we can, we can spend more time together? Listen to me. Always run to Jesus and pray for healing. And then take him at his word. The promises he gives believer that this life is just a moment in eternity. That every believer, every believer will spend Eternity in the presence of Jesus for me to live as Christ to die is gain. Take him at his word. That healing will come for the child of God. And so when hard times come, when John chapter 4 happens in our lives, we pray for healing. We take Jesus at his word. And we trust him with the where. And you know what? That's some of the hardest things to do. I, I got to thinking about my, my boy in that night. And for what was 10 minutes, I wrestled inside with, what if he can't breathe anymore? What if he, what if he dies? What if Jesus takes him home? And honestly, I can't go there much. It's just too hard to, you know, think about a whole lot. But, either way, my boy's going to be healed. He would have been okay. He'd have been with Jesus. I want to close. There's a, there's a family called the, uh, the Evans family. Tony Evans is the daddy. He writes a ton of books. Got a ginormous church in Texas, a radio ministry that goes all across the world, just a wonderful pastor. He's got several children. You might know his daughter, Priscilla Shire. She's just incredible. She could preach me under the pulpit any day. She's awesome. He also has a couple sons. Well, this is his son, Jonathan Evans. I got to meet him just a couple months ago, and I love him. I love hearing him preach. He is a chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. God bless his heart, you know, and... And, and, and just a great preacher of the gospel. A couple years ago, Tony's wife, Jonathan's mom, was diagnosed with cancer. 
man, it hit the family hard. It hit Jonathan hard because here's what Jonathan began to do, what so many of us do, right? God, listen, that's my mama. Look, God, wouldn't you get greater glory? And because we have this, this big old church and this worldwide ministry, wouldn't you get greater glory if you healed her so the whole world could see that, God, you're real, and God, you can, you can do it? Hey, have you ever tried to bargain with God? But he did. He prayed for his mama's healing. And you know what happened? His mama died of cancer. And he stood up at his mama's funeral and he shared with the people his heartbreak that God didn't heal her when he could. And he wrestled with this over time. And at his mother's funeral service, he said this, that in the midst of his grief, this still small voice that is out of God spoke to him and said this, Jonathan, there were only ever two answers to your prayers for your mom's healing. Either your mom was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. Either she was going to go and be with family or she was going to go and be with family. Either she was going to go and be well taken care of or she would go and be taken care of. And then he said he heard from the Lord. One last thing in P.S. Jonathan. Don't tell me how to get my glory. Church, pray. Run to Jesus and pray. When life gets hard and a loved one is sick or you are sick, it is okay and it is not selfish to beg of Jesus what this father begged of Jesus. But here's what we have to do as believers. As we run and pray to him, we've got to take Jesus at his word. And by that, I mean the word of God, the promises of God for every believer. And we've got to trust Jesus with the where. Of where he knows best. Or he sees best. Be because remember this about your loved one. Jesus knew them long before you ever did. Jesus loved them long before you ever loved them. With my little boy, listen, as hard as this is for me to say, by faith I know it, Jesus loves my son more than I love my son. And so I'm going to run to him and I'm going to pray like I did that night. I'm going to take Jesus at his word. That in all things, he's going to work for the good. And I'm going to trust him. And this is the hardest part, church. Listen. The hardest part. I'm going to trust him with the where. Because Jesus knows best. Speaking of compassion, he loves us and he cares for us. Let's pray together, can we? And listen, like earlier, today's message is going to hit like cement. For some of you who are or have recently or maybe going through just this heartache of sickness and disease and death and dying. And while we know that death's time is numbered, it still weighs heavy today.
if you're here today and maybe you're going through what we see in John chapter 4, some doctors told you, look, you have staged this. You have diseased that. There's not a whole lot we could do. If that's your story today, can I just challenge you to run to Jesus? Begging for healing. Take him at what his word promises for the believer that not even death can touch us. Its sting has been taken away. Hey, could you just take him at his word? And here's the deal, you ready? Oh, this is hard. Can you just trust him with the where? The question of healing for the believer is really no question at all. The answer is always yes for the child or the child of God. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.